Good morning. It's uh, great to be here. A real privilege to be able to worship our God this morning. And it's good to see you all and uh, welcome those of you who are joining us online. Um, Those of you who've been sitting here and watching the PowerPoints will have noticed uh, the two things that I'm going to announce, but I think we'll put the slides up again. The first is next Sunday, um, we're having a coronation, bring and share, fellowship, picnic. Two weeks. Oh, dear. I see, this is the difficulty with being a man. You never do anything in advance. So, it's, it's two weeks in advance, not, not, not next Sunday. So, apologies for that. Which then brings me nicely on to the next thing, where I've been told that men really do need to sign up for this. Because they want to book the golf, so you should be getting, um, an email, if you're a man, uh, fairly shortly, but please uh, don't leave it to the last minute because we want to make sure there's enough space for everyone. But turning to here, turning to now, we worship the creator of everything, the king of the universe. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing in awe and wonder Lord our God, we bow before your throne. Let's bow.
Well, we're starting a new series uh, this morning, and uh, at the outset, before we read, I wanted to set the scene and to whet your appetite as we start the book of Nehemiah. Going to say a little bit about the thrust of Nehemiah. You won't catch everything that I'm going to say in the next few minutes, but it will give you hopefully a flavour of what we're entering. So if I can have the first part of my PowerPoint beyond that one. No, that one came. The one that says thrust on, if I could get thrust up there, that would be good. Right. Okay. Ah, we have our thrust. Thank you. I don't know what you know about Nehemiah. You may say, well, I've never even heard of this chap, Nehemiah. I didn't know there was a Bible book called Nehemiah. Well, let me tell you that the book of Nehemiah is, uh, is mostly good news. It starts off with a bad news, a bit of bad news. We hear that today. And it actually ends rather disappointingly. And there's a message in that as well. But so much of it is a good news story. It's a story about rebuilding, it's about improvement, it's about expansion, it's about consolidation, it's about advancement. It's a book about progress. It's a book which has in it a lot of a sense of purpose and plans. It's going somewhere. It's full of motivation. It's full of ambition. It's full of desire. It's not without its difficulties and it's not without its disappointments and problems but uh, within the book they face such things and there's a strong sense of resilience in the books which is packed with lessons for us as we go through. There's many involved. There's a sense of teamwork. There's a, a togetherness in the book of Nehemiah. It's a story as well of wise leadership. The first time I came properly across Nehemiah was reading a book by a person called John White called Excellence in Leadership when I was a student. A great book which helped me to start to understand the book and made me realise there's a lot in the book about leadership. It's not really, it's not merely the skill of the leader that's involved, but you find that within the book there's God at work. God is doing something special in the life and time and book of Nehemiah, which makes it so exciting and such an encouraging place for us to be. It starts from a situation which is low and shameful and dispiriting, and things start to happen. God is at work, as we shall see this morning. And its aims are not just in building, though that's a big part of it. It's not just about building, it's also about behaviour and character. It's about renewal and changes that happen in people's lives and deep down. And the key to that change is going to be God's word and the importance of God's word in people's lives. So there's a building up of God's city, the first six chapters, Verse 7 chapters, there's a building up of God's community. 
which carries on in the second half of the book. And when we're discouraged about the situation in our lives and the situation we've got to as Christians, and when we're discouraged about uh, the condition and the situation of the church around us, then we'll find that in the book of Nehemiah there's a lot to encourage us and a lot to teach us. So that's a little of the thrust of the book of Nehemiah. But I also want to give you some background and bearings. Some background and bearings. And this is the way it came to me. I hope it helps you. Just a few things which will help set the course. First, this morning we're in the first of a morning series. I think it'll probably take about nine uh, uh, messages to get through the 13 chapters. So it'll take us up to the summer. That's the plan. We've got some other special things en route, which will take some of the Sunday morning time. So we're in the first of a morning series. Nehemiah is the second of a pair. It's the second of a pair of books. In a way, we're in the second half this morning. In ancient times, Ezra and Nehemiah were sort of seen as a joint book, really, together. So we're looking this morning at Nehemiah. It's the second of a pair, and uh, if you you want to understand a bit more of the background, then reading the first half won't be a bad idea. Third, Nehemiah is about the third of three returns. So God's people were sort of captured and taken away into exile. God said it would happen. Happened in the time of the Babylonians especially. But there was going to be a a time of returning to the homeland. And that happens in these books. And there are three main returns of people. Two of those returns happen in the first book, in Ezra. One with Zerubbabel, which involves the rebuilding of the temple. And then later on with Ezra himself. That was about 13 years before Nehemiah. And then in Nehemiah you have the third return of people which Nehemiah himself is involved with. So it is the third of three returns. I'm stretching it a bit here, but I'm making an important point. The 44th verse of Luke 24 will help us get our bearings. Jesus speaking after his resurrection in Luke 24 says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, all of the Old Testament points to me. So as we go into this book of Nehemiah, we're going to be looking for lines that point us to Jesus. Lastly, when are we? We're 5th century B.C. 5th century B.C. The year is about 445 B.C. The Persians have taken over from the Babylonians as the world power. In many ways, this is the last bit of history that we get in Old Testament times. So, you won't remember all that, but it just sets the scene, the thrust and the bearings, hopefully whets your appetite for what's ahead. We're going to read now the first chapter and part of the second chapter, which is our passage 
for this morning. And I'm going to try and break it into the three chunks as I read that we'll look at. These are significant words. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. I should have given you the page number. It's 398 for Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you have commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're out though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins 
and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Well, you would have noticed in part of that reading there was a strong note of confession. And we're going to go on to our second hymn now, before the children's talk. And our second hymn is a hymn of words of confession that we will be singing. It goes, we have not known you as we ought, nor learned your wisdom, grace and power. Let's sing together our second song.
Good morning. Good to see you all again this morning. Right now, I've got. Uh, I'd like. I'd like these two shapes cut out, please. So you could do one. You could do one. Okay, cool. Right now, we're gonna need some scissors. Well, I've only got one pair of scissors with me this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, give you that, give you that. You give you a nice, neat cut out of the shape. All right? No? It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? You could uh, do a very rough hack around the edges. It's not, it's no good, is it? Because apart from each other, they are just useless. And sometimes I find these in the drawer and they're just that bit. Oh, no, no good. I can't do anything with those. But when they're put together, they're perfect, aren't they? You can't have one without the other. And uh, quite often when I look in the drawer and I see these, I think of two great Bible words. What's the first word? Faith. What's the second word? Repentance. Repentance. They're two great words. You've probably heard them before and you probably know what they mean. We'll find out in a minute. Okay. Uh, But you can't have one without the other. They're useless. Having faith without repentance, they're useless. But they always go together, and they always have to go together for a person to be a real Christian. So we're going to answer three questions. What's faith? What's repentance? And why do you have to have both? Okay? So, let's have, let's have a look at first. What, what's, what does faith mean? What do you think faith means? Yeah? Trusting in someone. Trusting in someone. Well done. Yeah, it really is. Having trust in someone. Okay? And we're thinking about faith in God, so that would be trust in God. Anything else? Another word that might you might say what faith means? Yeah? Believe. Believe. Well done, yeah. So having faith, having a trust, and when a person has faith in God, they're saying, I believe everything that God says about himself in the Bible, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, and I believe that Jesus is my saviour. That's what faith is in God. So what about repentance? It's a longer word, but it's actually got a very simple meaning. Yeah? Have a go, any. Saying sorry is very much a part of it. Yep. Does anyone know what else happens when a person repents? <clears throat> Give you a clue. It's a change of something. Yeah? That's true. Yeah, that's what happens to them when they put their trust and they repent. What's going on inside somebody when they repent? So they're sorry for their sin. But what's made them suddenly feel bad about their sins? And they, they need to be saved. Well, let me tell you. So, somebody's living their lives and they're walking away from God. They don't want anything to do with God. But repentance is where a person changes the direction of their life. It's a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of life. And they've left their old life going away from God and now they're going towards God. And they're saying, not only is Jesus my saviour, but he's my Lord. He's my master. So, I do the things that he says now. That's what repentance is, really. It's a change of life and a change of heart. Okay? So faith is trust in Jesus. Repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life. And you have to have both of those things together. Okay? Because on their own, they're no good at all. And so let's think about the third question. Why do you have to have both? Well, there's lots of people in the world who say, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I've got faith. I'm a Christian but they don't follow God. So their faith really means nothing. It's just, a, it's just something to say, I'm a Christian. But you can tell by their life that they don't want anything to do with what God says. They're, they're still walking away from God and saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, 
but I'm walking away from God and living my own life. I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. Quite like the idea of him being my rescuer. That's quite a good thought. But he's not going to tell me how to live my life. So just having faith on its own is useless. What about repentance? Can you have repentance on its own without faith? Can you, can you change the direction of your life towards God without believing in him? It would be a daft thing to do, wouldn't it? But some people feel really bad about their sin and feel guilty. Perhaps you feel guilty sometimes. All of us do at times. And we need to deal with our guilt. We feel bad. So how am I going to deal with that if I don't have faith in Jesus? I'm going to try and be a good person. I'm going to try and make up for all the wrong things I've done. I'm going to try and please God myself. Because I'm trusting, not in Jesus, but I'm trusting in myself. And people will will go to all sorts of lengths and to all sorts of religions to try and make themselves better and acceptable to God. But that's useless, because it doesn't deal with our sin. And there's no real change in our heart. Just trying to change our behaviour. So these two things have to go together. And then they are the real thing. They really cut it. What we need is a real faith in Jesus Christ to be our saviour, trusting in him. And at the same time, our life is turning around. Our repentance is towards God because we trust in him and have faith in him. Now that can all sound quite complicated. I hope that's made things a little bit clearer. That's what you need to be a real Christian. Faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him to be your saviour and a change of your heart and mind and life. He is now my Lord and I follow him. Okay? Let me pray for you. Lord God, thank you for these children and the young people that we have here. They are among the most privileged people who live in Crowborough because they regularly hear the good news of Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you'll grant to them a repentance that leads to life, a repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth and a real faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Good. Well done for listening. Go and find your seats. Thank you. Thanks, John. Well, what's in our hearts is often decided or often demonstrated by who we talk to and how we talk to them. And I wonder, what would be your, or what has been our reaction this week to to shocking news? Who do we go to? And who do we talk to? The reason I'm saying that is, as I um, came across the chapter that John's read to us, I was really struck by what Nehemiah did. So I just want to read one verse to you before we pray. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's reaction to the news was to turn to his God. Let's do that now. Oh Lord, you know us. You know how we come to church this morning. You know 
what's happened in our lives, you know what's happened in our hearts. And we've just been singing how messed up we are, how we've been hungry for things that will never satisfy. We've been selfish in our hearts, looking to please ourselves. And worst of all, we haven't thought about you as much as we should have done. We haven't been thinking about what you want, how your kingdom can come, how you can use people like us. And Lord, we've suffered the consequences. We, we haven't known all of the joy and peace which comes from knowing you that we should have done. Rather than confessing our selfishness and our bad behaviour, Lord, we've kept it to ourselves so we haven't known the joy of being forgiven. Oh Lord, we're sorry and we confess now what has been wrong in this week. Lord, you know and you know how different it's been for each one of us. And we thank you that you tell us that if we confess our sins, whatever they've been, we can rely on you to forgive us our sins and to clean us completely. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are still in that work, that you still do that. And Lord, we pray that we will know the joy of being forgiven and free. Oh Lord, we thank you for last Sunday. We thank you for those who were able to be baptised to show that they belong to you. And Father, we pray that you will help them to talk to their friends and family who came. Lord, we, we pray that they will have seen things that make you look attractive and that there will be a hunger in their hearts to, to know you. And Lord, we pray, especially for those who've just been baptised, that you will keep them from the enemy's attack. You will keep them from temptation. That you will give them the power they need to do the good things that you've prepared in advance for them to do. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll give them energy and zeal and love for you. And Lord, we don't just pray that for those who've just been baptised. Lord, we pray that for each one of your children. Oh Lord, we pray that our likeness to Jesus will increase more and more. We pray that there will be something that's different about us in a good way. Oh Lord, we pray that we will know joy. We pray that we will have a confidence in life because we have a confidence in our God who said he'll never leave us, who said he'll never forsake us and that one day he'll take us home. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us not to be too absorbed with things here, knowing that if we are yours, we'll be with you forever. And we pray that that will be our big priority, looking forward to the day that we meet you and hear your verdict on our lives. Lord, we thank you that your good news is being spread. We thank you it's already been spread in the prison, in Rooted, in Sunday School. We thank you that it's planned to be spread in Alderbrook on Monday night. 
in first steps on Thursday. Oh Lord, we pray that you will take what has been done, what is being done, and that you will use it to transform lives. And as we look forward to things further ahead where there's the curry night, the golf, and the holiday Bible weekend, oh Lord, we pray that many people will come and that you will speak, and that you will speak in a way that people hear, listen, and Lord, we pray that lives will be transformed, that people will be will turn from walking into darkness to walking away from darkness and misery to your glorious light. Oh Lord, you, you, you know everything, you know what's in our lives, and you know what we struggle with. And we pray now, especially for those of us who are parents. Oh Lord, you know how much we love our children. And Lord, you pray, we pray you'll help us to love them more. Help us to turn towards them and not away from them to other priorities. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to show them the way to live. Help us to be brave enough to confront bad behaviour in a loving way. Help us to love like you love, trusting that your word is true, trusting that you will work and that you will honour parents who love their children and bring them up in a way that pleases you. But Lord, we know that even our best efforts as parents are are weak and flawed and ultimately powerless. Oh, Lord, we pray for our children. We pray, Lord, that you'll turn their hearts around so that they know you as their friend and their saviour and their God, so that they're not left to a second-hand religion of a a mum or a dad who, who, who loved you, but a child who only knew about you. Oh, Lord, we, we pray you'll save them from that awful situation. And Lord, you know that all of us have things that we expect to be happening in the next week. Some of them are joyful, some of them are are more stressful. Oh Lord, as we live our lives, we pray that you will help us to cast all our cares on you, knowing that you care for us. And Lord, help us to be confident in your word where it tells us that our God will supply all our need according to his riches in glory. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to bring our needs to you, the all-wise, almighty, all-powerful God. Oh Lord, do save us from our stupid worrying, looking at our resources or the resources that other people may have as though they can solve the world's problems let alone ours. Oh Lord, we know that you are able and we pray that you will come through and that you will hear our prayers and that you will bring all of us to cast our cares on you. Oh Lord, we pray that we'll be like Nehemiah, that as we get confronted with things, as we get shocks, as we get surprises, as we get things that we don't know how to deal with, 
Oh Lord, we pray that we'll turn to you and ask for your help. And Lord, we pray too that you will give us a sense of hunger to do what you want. Hunger to know what the good work that you've got prepared for each one of your children is. And not a hunger that sits and looks at it and says, oh, that's interesting. But one where we do what you want to know your reward and to bring your kingdom in. Oh Lord, we pray that as John brings your word to us shortly, Lord, you you will give us ears to hear your voice. We pray that we won't be distracted, but we will hear what you're saying to us and that you will use it to change our hearts and lives. Amen. As we sing, we're going to uh, carry on praying. We're going to be praying that God will speak to us as we come to us, as we come to him. So let's sing as the music starts.
Now, I don't know lots about the film industry, uh, but I, I know enough to know there is a, quite a well-known triplet of words that go together. Lights, camera, action. Lights, camera, action. When they're shooting a scene, those are the, the words that the director or whoever announces in order for the theme of the scene to be shot. Well, we're, we're in Nehemiah. It is a book of action, but our route to action is a little bit different from the film industry. And as we look at today's passage, and we divide it up into the different parts, instead of lights, camera, action, we have news, prayer, action. News, prayer, action. And we're going to go through these different aspects and we're going to pull out some lessons for us as we look at this passage in Nehemiah. News. We start off the book with some news. This man, Nehemiah, is a long way from Jerusalem, getting on for a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He's in the winter resort of the king of Persia down there at Susa. He's probably not been to Jerusalem for ages, perhaps if ever. But his heart is there at Jerusalem. And when folks from Jerusalem come and end up uh, southeast down into the area of Persia, modern Iran, it is the area he was in, um, he, he asks how things are going back in the homeland. Um, was it just because it was his homeland? There have been lots of fanfare during the last week or so from President Biden as he's been in Ireland and he's had ancestral links and he's enjoyed thinking about those. Was it just like that with Nehemiah? It got roots there. Well, it may have been part of that, but it was much more than that. God's honour was bound up in Jerusalem. It had been said in Solomon's day by the Lord, my name shall be there. God's honour was linked with its welfare and his people had gone back there, some of them, and uh, Nehemiah's deeply concerned about how it's going. And the news he learns is disturbing. Verse 3. Chapter 1. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Those who had returned to rebuild Jerusalem were in a, a pathetically weak situation. The walls were broken down. The gates were burned. The status of the city was in shambles. There was no security, no prestige. It was in a state of shame. It was, as one person said, an international joke. And does Nehemiah shrug it off? Does he ask the next question? Well, how's uh, 
cousin Benjamin's farm doing uh, outside of Jerusalem? Does he just get consumed with the many events that must have been on his agenda with his role in Persia? Does he just head back home to his Persian residence, probably with his Persian carpets and his Persian pastimes? Well, it couldn't be further from the truth. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His reaction was instant. It was deep. It was lasting. And so much of what we see in the coming chapters really springs from this. God puts in this man a deep concern for his honour and for the welfare of his special people in Old Testament times, the Israelites. Now we're not we're not called, are we, to do the same job as Nehemiah? But do we care about the news we receive? about God's honour. We should care not so much about uh, the city of Jerusalem, but in New Testament times about the church and its mission. And sadly, we're, we're not moved much. We care little. Our interest soon passes Does it bother us when high-profile Christian leaders are found to be woefully compromised in their lifestyles and have to stand down? Does it bother us when many gospel churches are, are weak and being closed? Does it bother us when the lives of Christians are known for their harsh proud judgmentalism rather than a spirit of love? Does it bother us? Does it bother us when the national church seems to be disregarding what God says in his word? Does it bother us when fellow believers across the world are so badly treated? Does it bother us when so many around us who perhaps had a sprinkling of Christianity in their younger days have now shrugged it off and have such a low view of God. Well, I don't know about you, but I struggle to have the emotional energy to feel deeply about all aspects of of bad news. Uh, God knows our limits, but sadly I know that I'm still short of the sort of level concern that I should have. God's work often starts with a deep concern for his glory, like Nehemiah's reaction to the news of the situation. Uh, There were several young uh, Salvation Army officers who came to their leader, the founder of the Salvation Army movement, uh, General William Booth, and they said, how can we save the lost 
They'd felt like they'd exhausted everything that they knew to do. So Booth tore off a piece of brown paper sack and wrote two words. He handed it to these young, zealous leaders and the note read, Try tears. Try tears. Well, some are more emotional than others, but do we deeply care? That's the theme, isn't it? Do we deeply care? Uh, Nehemiah, as a leader, we will find constantly points to the, the best of all leaders, to the ultimate leader, Jesus. You remember him on the hillside of Jerusalem, Luke 19.41, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace. Do you remember Jesus in the temple when he was so disturbed by the greedy swindling that was going on? Turn some of the tables and says, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, we do need, don't we, to be moved by the sad news around us. We do need leaders who are moved by a concern for God's glory. We are grateful for the ultimate leader who leads us in a perfect concern for God's honour and who will ultimately straighten all things out. God's work usually starts with a deep concern. Now, it's not all doom and gloom. As I said, this is a positive book. Uh, This is the book which includes the phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But the book does start with deep concern at the news of which they heard. News. Prayer. The rest of chapter 1. Prayer. This deeply concerned man prays, as we've been reminded. He prays and he keeps on praying. For several months, he prayed. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And here we have on record a summary of what he was praying uh, by the end of that period and presumably during that period. And let me tell you, it is a tremendous prayer and it's worth going slowly through, much more slowly than we can do in this series that we're going through. It's a, a prayer which can shape our prayers. Let me just um, draw to your attention a few things this morning. It's a prayer that focuses on God. He is a man of quick-fire prayers. We, we come across that throughout the book of Nehemiah, and they're direct and to the point. But here we have a longer prayer, and as we have his longer prayer, we see that he starts by acknowledging who God is. Verse 5, and I said... O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. You know, it's a good practice to be taken up with God and acknowledge him in our prayers. Do you find that's a good pattern in your prayers? In your main prayer times? Jesus starts, doesn't he, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. He has a a sense of the, the greatness and the awesomeness of God and of his faithfulness and his love. That's why we started off with our first song, In Awe and Wonder We Draw Near. He focuses on God. He confesses sins. He confesses sins. Uh, for quite a lot of this prayer, did you notice that? Do you notice that as we look at these, this prayer at the second half of chapter 1? So a lot of confession, and it's in a, a meaningful and heartfelt and real way, or that's the way it comes across. Jesus, of course, taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Can I ask you, have you ever confessed sins to God? Poured them out? Part of that repentance we heard about earlier. You kept it to yourself, blocked it up, maybe feeling guilty. Did it ever come out? Have you ever sort of itemised some of them before the Lord as you think of your life? There's a wonderful promise, isn't there? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But one thing that's especially striking, I find, I don't know if you find that, about this confession is the way in which he takes a sense of responsibility for the sins of others as well. That's a little bit puzzling, surprise. You notice the we and our. Halfway through verse 6, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned, we have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Well, we like to sort of clearly distance ourselves, don't we, from the sins of others, to look down on them, maybe. Sometimes, should there be a sense of group responsibility? Identifying with others, confessing on behalf? Should there? Is it right to confess on behalf of our family? Our own local church? The wider church? Our nation? Maybe we should feel more of a a group responsibility than we do sometimes. Of course, in a unique way, Jesus, the ultimate leader, takes on himself the sins and the shame of his people. Our sin becomes his sin. Nehemiah confesses sins. In his prayer, he draws on scripture. 
he draws on scripture. Verse 8 starts, Remember the word that you commanded your servant? God had said that they would be dispersed among the nations if they disobeyed him, and that's what had happened. But there was a second part to it. If they repented, they would be brought back. And he quotes that in verse 9, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. You can see how relevant it is to quote this when he wants them brought back and blessed in the place of Jerusalem. It's good to to plead God's word and the principles that come from his word when you pray. You have said, I will you will build I have built I will build my church. You have said that there would be good soil, fruitful soil. You use the Bible in your prayers. You say, well, I don't know much about the Bible. I've only just started to learn it. It's a good thing to grow in. It's a good thing, you know, to turn your Bible reading into prayers. What you read about, if you have a daily time to read God's Word, that's a really good practice. Good to use it as a sort of springboard into your prayers. Your prayer life will be varied and richer and it will be in line with God's mind and will if you do so. He draws on scripture. He depends on God. Perhaps quite obvious in a prayer. He's asking God to hear and to help. It's clear in the way He says it in verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. Don't, Don't turn a deaf ear to me. Lord, listen. And it's clear in how he ends it in verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Sense the need, the dependence, the urgency. We do need, don't we, to be moved, to concern, to pray. We do need leaders who are moved to concern, to pray. We're grateful for the ultimate leader who ever lives to make intercession for us. Well, sometimes our prayers need to go further than just prayer. Sometimes God has put us in a position to do something about it. News, prayer, action, as we go into chapter 2. This prayer, though presumably similar over the months, was specifically on a day when he was hoping to do something. It ended in verse 11. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Leading on to action. 
And as we track through how this works out in these verses, there are some, some good pointers for us about action. It was situational, if I can put it like that. It was related to the situation that God had put him in. We were told at the end of chapter 1 he was cup-bearer to the king. Now that doesn't just mean he was the waiter who, who brought in um, you know, the, the tray with the drinks on for the king. It was actually a very important job. He was a very trusted and faithful and reliable man. You know, those days were often filled with attempts to assassinate leaders of different empires. And what was one of the main ways that you would pop them off? Well, you'd dose a bit of poison in their drink. So the cupbearer has quite a responsibility towards the welfare of the realm. And Nehemiah, as cupbearer, is you know, a key part of the security team. And uh, he would be very trusted. And he would have to have uh, a management over the fluid supply chain, which came before King Artaxerxes, to make sure that King Artaxerxes lasted. And he would be trying the food beforehand. He would probably be quite a key advisor, a bit of a Sir Humphrey to King Artaxerxes. So God had put this faithful Nehemiah in a role that gave him access to the king. And he planned to use it. You know, God puts us in unique situations. Your situation is different from mine. Everyone is different here. Uh, Our callings, if you like. We have different connections, different responsibilities, different gifts, different opportunities, different openings. And uh, we should be thinking, yeah. Lord, I've been praying that today. Lord, this is my calling, is to be up the front here in front of these people, whether I, whether I enjoy being up the front or not. That's my calling. Lord, make it useful in your rebuilding today. It was risky. And he felt it. He showed his sadness to the king. I think that was a, a deliberate thing. Kings expected the people around them to be happy. Looking sad could shorten your career and it could shorten your height. But he looked sad in front of the king. And the king asked him, why are you sad? And Nehemiah explains why. What do you want? Here, Nehemiah puts up one of his quick-fire prayers from one throne room, from, if you like, to a higher throne room. And he prays for God as he answers this man. It is good to have longer times of prayer, sort of chapter one types of prayer, richer times of prayer, but we too can shoot off arrow prayers to the Lord in our situation. Lord, help me to answer this tough question. Lord, give me patience with this stroppy lady. Lord, keep me from being clumsy as I comfort my friend. Well, Nehemiah may be a prayer, but he's also a planner. And they can go together. And his action is thought through. He's given it some thought. And when King Artaxerxes says, what do you want? He's not, well, I 
I haven't even thought about that. He has a mental wish list up his sleeve. And it's just what he needs for what he wants to do for Jerusalem. But it is actually quite an ask. Can I have leave to go and rebuild the city? Uh, This is when I would be back. And while I'm at it, could you authorise my passage so that the current governors in beyond the river let me to go through and start the work? And could you also give me a letter for the director of forestry in the region so that I can have a supply of all the wood that I need for the building projects that I'm starting? It was quite an ask because it was this king who stopped the work back in Ezra chapter 4 and was being asked to undo things so that the work could be restarted. It was risky. It was uncomfortable. It was bold. It was brave. Some action is. But God made the king willing. And he even makes Nehemiah governor of the region as well for a time, as we'll see later on. Sometimes our action is risky. It's good also for it to be thought through. It was sacrificial. Nehemiah, you're in a a winter resort. You're in the equivalent of the south of France. Why do you want to head up to Scotland to get on with this project when you're so comfortable where you are? Nehemiah, you have a top job where you are. You you have respect, you have honour, you have comfort, you have warmth. All that business is hundreds of miles away. Be sensible, Nehemiah. Leave it to others. Why, why bother about pesky Jerusalem? Carry on with things where you are. But God had put it in the heart of this man and he was willing. That reminds you of someone else. Jesus, in the comfort of his Father's presence, the glory of heaven, yet willing to come down to the earth to build the church, to restore lives, to restore God's community, to go to the cross. James is preaching here tonight, and uh, one of the 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 hymns he's chosen is, From heaven you came, helpless babe, into this world your glory vowed. The ultimate sacrificial leader along the lines of Nehemiah. But that thought leaves a challenge with us, doesn't it? Is God putting on your heart things to do to serve him? Maybe a work that will involve some discomfort, some risk, some sacrifice. Much Christian work does. It may not be to spearhead a a major building project. It may be more mundane. The stresses and strains of children's work. Uh, The time-consuming concern for a friend. The nerve-wracking opportunity to tell others the gospel. 
serving God does involve concern and prayer and action, and it may be sacrificial. Nehemiah then took a big step, the first of many. His action was wonderfully sponsored. It didn't have a corporate name across his T-shirt and lots of funding. It was sponsored in a different way and from a higher level. God gave him success before the king in that encounter. Our passage ends in verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Something we look for and pray for in our endeavours and actions. That the good hand of our God, his sponsorship, his blessing might be upon us. So we leave Nehemiah. He's soon to be taking a, a long journey to Jerusalem where the walls lie in ruin. God is sponsoring his action and we shall see how things go as he arrives on the scene next Sunday morning. News, prayer, action. Our final song is one that I think is along the lines of the sort of thing that Nehemiah would have felt and prayed, and hopefully in looking at the passage this morning, it will be a song which is close to our heart. Restore, O Lord, the honour of your name in works of sovereign power come shake the earth again.
Oh Lord, do help us to care. Do help us to pray. And do help us to act. Amen.